Morning. Good morning to everyone that's here in the sanctuary this morning, as well as those listening on T102 and watching on Facebook Live. It is a good morning no matter what color the grass is outside, so <laughs> it won't last long. So We don't have too many announcements this morning. Let me pull them out. Uh, don't miss the praise and prayer uh, night tonight here in the sanctuary at 7. Uh, this event is open for everyone, uh, so bring your family, your neighbors, your friends. Join us in a, in a wonderful night of prayer and praise. The next two weeks, the Sunday night Lenten Bible study group will move to Monday nights at 7. One last announcement is the 
on Easter Sunday morning, we will have breakfast, um, and we're looking for a few able-bodied early risers that want to help, and we will have uh, eggs and ham and, and cinnamon rolls like normal, and we're going to try to add yogurt and fruit. So uh, we look forward to everyone coming and sharing breakfast with us after the sunrise service that the youth have uh, on that day. So, And if I could, I'd ask everyone that can stand to please stand and join me in the call to worship this morning. Our call to worship this morning is taken from Psalm chapter 126. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like the streams in Negev. Those who sow with tears will reap songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carry seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. Now we will continue to stand and sing our praise song, House of the Lord. Thank 
Now we'll invite all the children to come forward for children's chat with Miss Maria. And as they are doing that, take time to greet your neighbor. today what is up with the snow outside I'm tired of snow I know husband I know I know Grant I know dude but it's spring so snow is supposed to be over we're supposed to need snow again about December 24th all right so today Pastor Joel is preaching on one verse, and I'm going to read it to us, so because it's got some big words in, and we need to talk about it a little bit. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your heirs. Watch your life. What do you think? What do you think Paul meant when he wrote that? Watch your life. Watch what you do. Yeah. Watch what you do. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes we have to worry about ourselves and not what everybody else is doing. And as long as we're doing what's right, then we're good. And we don't need to do what everybody else is doing because what they're doing is not good. Right? So we need to ask ourselves every once in a while, am I doing the right thing? Maybe we're at school on the playground and somebody's been waiting for a turn on the swings for a long time. We should get off and let them have a turn. We're doing the right thing. Okay? So now there's another word that came up in this scripture passage, doctrine. That's a big word, isn't it? Doctrine. You think it might be about a doctor, but it's really not. Doctrine is what we believe. What do we believe? We believe in God. 
and Jesus. What else do we believe? In the Bible. We believe that what's in the Bible is true. Good. What does the Bible tell us? Right. Does it give us rules to follow? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it gives us it gives us the Ten Commandments. But you know what? The best commandment for us to remember is treat others the way you want to be treated. That's probably the best rule that we can follow is to treat others the way we want to be treated. Okay? And <clears throat> a little bit earlier in this chapter of Timothy, in verse 12, it says, Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. Set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. Okay? You guys are pretty young. You run into big kids a lot, don't you? And sometimes those big kids are not always being the best examples. So we need to remember, even though we're young, even though we're five, seven, eight, nine years old we're still young and we're going to see people doing the wrong thing but you know what we can still do the right things we can be an example in the things that we say like complimenting people and using kind words we can do things that please god like helping other people playing with somebody sitting with somebody at lunch. We need to care about each other. And most importantly, we need to pray. We need to talk to God. We need to read our Bible stories. And we need we need to listen to God because he's going to be the one that's going to help us get through these things. All right? So, let's say a quick prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for these young, eager ears that want to listen, to be an example, and to do what is right. Help them to be strong when they need to be, and to be loving when they can. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a great day, guys. Amen. You guys can head back to your seats. Thank you, Maria, for that wonderful children's chat. As we turn our attention to the offering now, just want to highlight a couple important things for you. One is we've had the blue jug out here for a few weeks now. Um, as you recall, the money that is put in the blue jug or given online and designated for that purpose is going to support the Samaritan's Purse disaster relief efforts happening in Ukraine and the surrounding areas. Uh, this will be the last Sunday that the blue jug will physically be out on the steps. Uh, but if you would like to continue to give, you can always give directly um, through the office or online for that purpose. But this will be the last chance uh, for, for the blue jug to be out on Sunday morning. So take advantage of that while it's here if you feel so led to give to that cause. Also, there is a change in the offering. It is reflected in your bulletin, but I just want to highlight that for you. Today's designated offering goes to support the gospel tent at the Auglaise County Fair. Uh, this is a designated offering that we had scheduled for June, but it was brought to our attention recently that, um, that the gospel tent uh, would appreciate donations a little bit earlier in the year so they can plan accordingly for the, the fair this summer. And so what we did is we flip-flopped, consistory uh, voted to change the offering this Sunday with the offering in June when it was originally scheduled. So 
This Sunday will be for the Auglaise County, the Gospel Tent at the Auglaise County Fair. And then the Sunday in June, which is June 12th, will be for the radio ministry. So we are still using the same designated offerings. We're just changing that up so that we can get the money to the Gospel Tent when they need it, so they can plan accordingly for that ministry this summer. And it is a great ministry. I know many of you here take advantage of those opportunities at the fair, and so I want to encourage you to give towards that cause. Also, I know that many of you here, like myself, were at the... um, at the New Knoxville Schools uh, reverse raffle last night. Um, there was a lot of fun. There was a lot of uh, good opportunity to raise money for a good cause. And uh, during the reverse raffle in the live bid, they would ask the person who won the live auction if they wanted to basically bump their offering up, right? Bump their bid up to the next $500 as a way to be more generous. So as the plate goes around this morning, if you'd like to bump up your offering to the next 500, that we will be accepting those donations. And I'm sure the Gospel Tent would really appreciate that. Um, in all seriousness, no, we're, we're so grateful to support that ministry and looking forward to being able to give towards that. I want to invite the deacons to come forward at this time in our offering this morning. The music for our offering this morning is being provided by Sharon and Grace. Thank you.
I invite you to remain standing as we continue to give thanks to God our Savior by singing number 405, My Faith Has Found a Resting Place. Amen. I invite you to pray with me. Father God, we thank you for this day. Uh, We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you did die for us. Lord, we need nothing else. We need to know nothing else besides you and your love for us. Lord, that's at the heart of the gospel. That's at the heart of your word. That's at the heart of our faith is that, Jesus, you died in our place, that your love overcame sin and death and the grave, and that you have provided a way for us to know you. You provided a way for us to be forgiven and you provided a way for us to live in light of who you are and what you've done for us. Lord, help us to never forget the the foundation of our faith. Help us to never grow tired of hearing that good news and help us, Lord, of course, always to grow in that and build on that as we seek to live for you in this world. Lord, help us to love others in the way that you loved us. Help us to live a life that is honoring and pleasing to you because you deserve it, Lord. Not as a way to earn our salvation or not as a way to 
not as a way to earn our place in your family, but out of response to the good news, out of response to the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, we have no other argument. We need no other plea. It is enough that you have died and that you died for me. We thank you for that truth, Lord, that we just sang about today. And Lord, it is because of that, because we know that you already gave us everything in Christ through his death and resurrection, we can come to you and lift up our prayers and concerns. Lord, we know that you have provided through Christ. And so we ask that you would work in our lives and in these particular situations. Where there is healing, we pray that you would provide it. Where there, is, where there are things that are lacking, Lord, we ask that you would, you would give what is needed. And where relationships need to be reconciled and, and, and wounds need to be healed, Lord, we ask for your spirit to work in those places as well. God, you are a God of reconciliation. You draw us to yourself, but you also equip us and empower us to be reconciled to each other. And again, it's only by the grace of God that that is possible. So we ask, Lord, that you would work your will in each of these situations. And we also ask that you would be with those in authority over us, as your word calls us to do. And so we pray now for our, our local communities. We pray for New Knoxville and the surrounding areas. We thank you for the, the village administrators and, and, and those who work here, Lord, um, the businesses, the school. Lord, we just thank you for it all. We, we praise you for um, we praise you for these communities and pray that you would you would work in us and work help us, Lord, as your people to reach those around us with, with the good news of the gospel. Let us not forget that we don't need to go overseas, Lord. We can walk across the street and share the good news with our neighbor through both our, our words and our actions. And so we thank you, Lord, for those that you've, you've placed in leadership positions in this community and pray that you would guide and direct them and give them wisdom, Lord, as they lead us and lead us well. And Lord, we pray for our church family as well. We thank you for our trustees. We thank you for the work that they do to, to maintain the resources that you have you've blessed us with as a congregation. And I pray that you would equip them and all of us, Lord, to be good stewards of all that you've provided. And we pray all these things in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. You may be seated. Some of you probably saw me grab these steps. Uh, I am the last person that needs to be raised up anymore. Um, but with our scripture reading today, as Maria already helpfully pointed out, it's just one verse. And so I recruited some special help for the scripture reading today. So Jojo, can you come on up here? She's going to be reading our scripture passage today, which comes from 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Both of you and men, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Thanks, Jojo. Let's pray together again. Father God, we thank you for your word. Uh, we just thank you for the opportunity now to open it together. And as we study it today, Lord, I pray that you would soften our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us. And I pray, Lord, that you would give me words to speak and open up our hearts, open, um, 
Open our hearts and minds to all that you have for us today. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, technology can be fun sometimes. All right, there it is. Almost had to, almost had to go in a different direction this morning. Um, as we are, as you know, we wrapped up our, our study on First Peter last week, which was the sermon that popped up on my iPad just a moment ago. Um, we are, we are uh, looking at a passage from First Timothy here today. Uh, for those of you that have been following along with the Lenten devotional, this passage may seem a little familiar. It was one of the scripture readings that was associated with uh, one of the days last week. And, it, and it's one that kind of stuck with me. We had an opportunity last Sunday night to talk about it. Um, that group that has been meeting for the Lent devotional has been about 10 or 12 of us each week. And it's been a great opportunity to dig into that study. And we had good conversations surrounding this idea. And it's kind of been sticking with me since then. And so now that we wrapped up the sermon series on First Peter, I thought this would be a great opportunity to, to jump into that. And for those that weren't a part of that Bible study, um, and hopefully maybe you're reading along in the devotional yourself, um, the scripture passage may be a little familiar to you. Uh, the, the study itself, the, the devotional by Tozer, has been a good read. It's been an, it's been an interesting read. It's, some of the days are a little bit maybe um, more difficult to understand. I've had to go back sometimes and reread some of them, but it's been very beneficial. Um, I was first introduced to Tozer uh, many years ago uh, through his book, The Knowledge of the Holy. It's probably one of his most famous writings, and we did a Bible study on that in a previous church I belonged to. And one of the kind of the main ideas that Tozer is most famous for is it comes from that book, The Knowledge of the Holy, and I'm going to paraphrase here. He says, what you believe about God is the most important thing in your life. It will impact everything else that you do. And I think we, we see that here in this passage. The comment here about watch your life and your doctrine closely, persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. See, Paul is writing these words to Timothy. Paul and Timothy were both pastors. Paul was, in fact, the one who had kind of trained up Timothy. Timothy had traveled with him on some of the, right, all that he had learned and experienced. And Paul, in fact, had set up Timothy to serve in, in a church. And so these letters are, are Paul's encouragement and Paul's way of, of continuing to pour into Timothy's life. And you notice what he says here is really important. Watch your life and your doctrine closely. Again, what you, not just how you live, but also your doctrine, what you believe about God is important. And as Tozer said, it impacts everything else that you do. So today I want to reflect on that idea and talk about how important it is for us to watch our life and doctrine closely. And first of all, it's important to notice that both life and doctrine are important. In other words, sometimes there's a disconnect between what we say we believe and how we live our lives. Have you ever witnessed that in yourself or maybe in other people? They say they believe certain things, but, but by their actions and their attitudes and the way they treat others, there seems to be a disconnect between what they say they believe and how they live their lives. And so we don't want to allow that sort of disconnect to happen in our lives either. You see, what we actually believe really does influence our behavior. And notice the distinction that I just shared there. What we say we believe is one thing, but what we actually believe really does impact our behavior. Jesus had a lot to say about people that, that said one thing and did another. And in fact, he called them hypocrites. 
A hypocrite was someone who acted in a play. The term itself actually has a secular meaning. It would refer to the actor who would play multiple parts during a production. And in those days, they would often wear masks. They'd have masks sometimes on, on sticks or do they just hold it up in front of their face as a way to indicate which part they were playing at any given moment. And so one actor might have multiple masks because they had multiple parts that they were playing. And so at one point in the play, they'd hold one mask up and they would act and behave a certain way. Well, later in the play, they'd step over here, put a different mask up and act completely different. Their attitude would change based on what mask they were holding in front of their face. That's what Jesus is getting at when he calls the Pharisees hypocrites. He's like, he said, you're just playing a part. You say you believe something, but your attitudes and your actions aren't lining up. You're just saying one thing, but doing something completely different. In fact, Jesus had some pretty strong words toward the Pharisees in Matthew 23. Um, there's, there's seven woes he pronounces against them. I'm just going to highlight one of them here for you in Matthew 23, verses 27 and 28. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. I asked a group the other night if they've ever visited a, a cemetery that was very well kept. You know, I think of a place like Arlington National Cemetery or when when Allie and I were serving at, well, when I was serving as a youth pastor at my previous church, Allie and I helped lead a mission trip to New Orleans and all those beautiful uh, tombs that are above ground down in New Orleans. Many, maybe you have seen something like that as well. You know, those whitewashed tombs are beautiful. Those scenes can be picturesque, but no matter how beautiful that gravestone looks, no matter how beautiful that mausoleum looks, the fact of the matter is, is that they are still graves, right? And they are the resting place of our bones. And that's what Jesus says. He says, tells the Pharisees, you're, you're hypocrites because you look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside you're full of death and decay and rot. That's a hypocrite. Someone who appears righteous, appears to have it all together, yet on the, there's a disconnect between their life and their, their doctrine, what they say they believe and how they actually live their lives. And it's interesting here, Jesus had these strong words about the Pharisees because in Jesus' day, the Pharisees were the religious superheroes. We look back at them kind of through the lens of some of Jesus' comments, right? And we often associate the Pharisees with kind of the bad guys, right? They're the ones that, that Jesus often opposed Jesus, and Jesus had some of his harshest criticism aimed at them. But in that day, the Pharisees were the, were the good guys. They were the religious superheroes. They were the people that everyone else looked up to. They gave more. They prayed the loudest. Right? They were the ones that were often seen serving and teaching in the temple. Right? They, they, they had it all together. And many of the you know, quote-unquote average people in Israel during that time would have loved to have been like them. But Jesus emphasizes here their hypocrisy. There was a disconnect between their life and their doctrine. And we continue to see that today, don't we? There's people that emphasize one at the expense of the other. Some people tend to lean more towards one side. Say they emphasize right belief, but yet their life is devoid of right actions. People like that can be cold-hearted or unwilling to help those 
who are in need. They might be able to recite Bible verses and answer all the right questions in Sunday school. But most people that interact with them on Monday through Saturday wouldn't even know that they're a believer. Right? Those are people that emphasize right belief apart from right action. But then there's, there's those that go the other way as well, right? People that emphasize right actions without right belief. They say it doesn't matter what you believe. You know, you just do you, right? You be your true self. All that matters is that you're a good person. Or maybe they emphasize the importance of working hard and God will reward you, right? You can, you can earn your place in heaven. Just, just dot all the I's and cross all the T's and, you'll, and, and everything will work out for you in the end, right? Those are the kinds of attitudes of people that emphasize right actions, but not right belief. But the Bible clearly speaks to both of those extremes. They tell us it's important to have both right actions and right belief. And first we see that in James chapter 2, where James reminds his readers that faith without deeds is dead. In James chapter 2, beginning of verse 14, he says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. But some will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God, good, even the demons believe that, and shudder. Right? Think about what James just said there. Right? You can, he says even the demons believe there's one God. Right? They have, in one sense, correct theology. Right? They have their information correct. But yet they're still outside of God's grace. Right? Outside of a saving knowledge of God. And it's important here. He says, he says it's not deeds that, that, that justify the faith, but it's the deeds that are the evidence of the faith. Right? He says, show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. In other words, how we live our lives is evidence of what we truly believe. The other side of that equation then is Philippians chapter 3, where Paul goes on again. Paul is this this great, he, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees, right? He was one of that order that Jesus had so many, so many harsh things to say about. And in Philippians 3, beginning of verse 4, Paul writes this, If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything, Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Right, Paul knew, right, if anybody could be saved living according to the law, in fact, he says so much so that, that uh, according to righteousness based on the law, he was faultless. Right, so if anybody could be saved by good works, it was Paul. But what does he realize? Right, after, after checking all the boxes and living the good life, He realized that it was worthless. It was garbage apart from knowing Christ. In other words, he had all the right actions, but he didn't have the right belief. It wasn't until he realized 
that righteousness came through faith in Christ. It wasn't until he realized his need for the Lord that it finally clicked for him. So again, it's not one or the other, it's both. It's, it's we need to watch our life and our doctrine closely. And so the question for us then is, is what do we need to believe, right? If, if, if that's what's important, if we need to make sure that we are, we are watching both of those, the question we may ask ourselves is then what do we need to believe? What is required of us? And I think Scripture is pretty straightforward on that. In 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 4, Paul writes this. Again, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you've believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised to life on the third day according to the Scriptures. Right? Paul could have said anything at that moment. Right? Paul could have listed all sorts of, of teachings from Scripture. But when he said he, he wanted to explain the Gospel in the simplest way possible, when he wanted to pass on what was the most important part of it, he focused on one thing, Jesus' death and resurrection. Right? That's the Gospel. He died for our sins, and he was raised to life. That's the gospel, and that's what we need to believe. And, as, and, and our response is important, right? In Acts chapter 16, as Paul is traveling on his missionary journeys, he is miraculously freed from jail, and he encounters the jailer, and, and the jailer is, is awestruck, right? He, he doesn't know what to do. And he asks him this in, in Acts chapter 16. He says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you'll be saved. Right? That's it, right? That's the bottom line. And that's what we all need to do. Right? That's, the, that's the doctrine, that's the core doctrine that we need to hold on to. Christ died for our sins and was raised to life. And we must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. So then we ask ourselves, what do, how do we live then? If that's, the, if that's the doctrine that we need to hold on to so closely, then how do we live? And Jesus helps us with that in the great commandment in Matthew 22. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on those two commands. You know, it really is that simple. Sometimes we try to overcomplicate things, right? But it really is that simple. Love God with everything you have, and let your love for God overflow into your other relationships. Love God and love others. And love is wanting God's best for someone else. So love will include caring for those in need, like the Good Samaritan did. And it will also include pointing people towards the truth. Again, life and doctrine. So we see here the importance of watching over them. But then Paul continues in 1 Timothy 4.16. He says, persevere in them. And that's important because it's a reminder that, that we do have a part to play, right? We put our faith in Christ. That's the most important thing. But then it's not just like we just forget about it from that point on. He says, persevere in them. In other words, keep going. Keep moving towards Jesus and hold on to that faith that you have. In Philippians 2, Paul writes, Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, 
Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and act according to his good purposes. All right, notice what Paul is saying there. He says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And if we just stop there, it would seem like it's all on us, right? The responsibility to work out our salvation is on our shoulders. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on to say that it is God who works in you to will and act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So we're called to work out our salvation in fear and trembling, but then Paul goes on immediately to say, but it is God who ultimately accomplishes that in your life. In other words, each person has the responsibility to nurture their faith, to invest in their walk with the Lord, to strive to know him better, but it is ultimately God who makes it happen. And he will use ordinary, everyday means to accomplish it. You know, walking with Jesus isn't easy. It's going to be challenging at times. It will require work, but it is worth it. Eugene Peterson, who's an author and pastor, uh, passed away a few years ago. He once said that discipleship is a long obedience in the same direction. A long obedience in the same direction. Years ago, Allie and I downloaded an app called Couch to 5K. Some of you have maybe done that uh, or attempted like we did. Uh, We didn't quite make it fully off the couch into the 5K, but we tried. But the whole idea of that program is that you can go from having no running experience to being able to run a 5K simply by taking small steps in that direction. So it's a combination of walking and running. Maybe the first time it's all walking with a little bit of running. And then every time you do it, the balance shifts. You run a little bit more, walk a little bit less until you get to the point where you, in theory, can run a 5K. Our walk with the Lord is, is the same thing. We're called to persevere, which means to endure, to keep working hard. And it's those small changes over a long period of time that can lead to a big change. Some of you may be intimidated, right? We're not sure where to begin or, or how to grow in our walk with Christ. The most important thing to do is take the first step. Walk towards Jesus, right? Don't give up. Eventually you'll start jogging. Eventually you'll start running And you'll see a change over time. You'll see the fruit of repentance and discipleship. You'll see your life and your doctrine align to a greater degree when you persevere and you don't give up. And the last thing to note here is he says, you will save both yourself and and your hearers. It's important to, to to distinguish here that what Paul's talking about is he says, we, it's not that we can save people or we can save ourselves, but we can cling to the gospel, right? That is the only thing that saves. And so we don't want to turn away from it. We don't want to trust in other things. We need to persevere, which means continuing to trust in God's salvation. But God is the one who ultimately saves both ourselves and our hearers. But this this is where this gets really important. God may be the one that saves, right? God is the one who ultimately accomplishes salvation for us but he may want to use you and work through you to bring that about in other people right so i as a pastor can't save anybody right i can look around the sanctuary and make eye contact with everybody in the room and speak directly to you but ultimately it's not my words right that are going to make a difference it's it's god working in individual hearts and minds that's going to accomplish salvation but god may use the words that i speak to bring that about 
Do you see what I'm confused? Is that, but he may use us to bring that about in someone's life. And I'll tell you what, you don't have to stand up here and preach a sermon to accomplish that either. It can be through your, again, life and doctrine. The way you interact with people, the way that you treat people, the words that you share with them can make a big difference. The pastor I used to work with talked, and I don't know where he got this data, so I'm just going to quote him. Um, he talked about how on average it takes about 30 interactions with, uh, with the things of faith, say, say believers or reading the Bible. It takes about 30 interactions for someone to move from complete unbelief to faith in Christ. And here's the thing. You may be, you may be interaction number one with someone. You may be interaction number 15. You may be interaction number 29 or, by God's grace, you may be interaction number 30. The thing is, we just don't know where someone else is at, and we don't know what God is doing in their life. And you may never see the immediate impact of, of your interactions with that other person. But we do believe that God can and will use you to draw people to himself through your words and your deeds. And over time, right, that, that seed that you're planting right, can make a difference, can bear fruit in the long run. So don't, don't, do, don't, don't grow weary and don't give up. You know, we may not see the direct results, but we can, be, we can rest assured that God will use us, both our life and our doctrine, and the way that we love God and love others, the way that we interact with the people around us. God will use that to draw people to himself. I want to close by reading from Matthew five fourteen through 16. Again, probably very familiar words, but they remind us of this truth. Jesus, speaking to his disciples, said, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Right? God says that we are called to let his, be the light of the world. In other words, let his light shine through us. Not to draw attention to ourselves. Right? Not to say, look how I've got my life all together. But ultimately so that people can see our good deeds and glorify our Father who's in heaven. Right? That's our goal. That's our desire. Not to draw people to ourselves, but to point people towards Christ. And that can happen best when our doctrine and our life are lined up together. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your word, which again is a light for our, our feet, a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to, to live lives that are aligned together, that, that your, our, our faith and our doctrine, our life and our doctrine, Lord, to be lined up and that, we, that you may use us to make an impact on other people. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. We have... Uh, two closing songs today. Uh, the first is hymn number 394, In My Life, Lord Be Glorified. And then we'll move right also into our praise song, Make Room.
And just a reminder, I want to invite you all back here in the sanctuary again this evening for our praise and prayer night and invite others to be a part of that as well as we can continue to worship the Lord uh, in song and in prayer and through Scripture. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn His face toward you and give you peace. Amen. You may go in peace. Mm -hmm.